Thanks for choosing to listen to another City Point West podcast. I trust that this message empowers and encourages you to continue your journey of faith. Enjoy. Wow. I want to speak about these two questions. I want to speak about them, not necessarily directly, but I want to speak with them through the Word of God. And these two key areas of confusion. Listen, we live in an age and a time of confusion. And these two questions are really confusing questions and probably even more so for an up and coming generation that is told uh, that these things aren't necessarily what they are. The first question is this, can you love someone and not agree with them? Can you love someone and not agree with them? Listen, for those that are married in the room, this is a question for marriage. I look at my wife up the back there and can I love her and not agree with her? Listen, if you know Wendy and I, you will know there is two stubborn people that are married, that have strong opinions, strong belief systems, and neither of us are ever wrong. So it is very easily a picture of, can you love someone and not agree? There are times that we have not agreed. Uh, in fact, there's one time, it's been lasting 25 years at this stage. No, that's not true. Multiple times that we have not agreed. Uh, it's a question for family. Can you love family? and not agree with them. Siblings, parents, kids. Question for friendships. Can you love a friend and not agree with them, not agree with how they live, not agree with their opinion, not agree with their belief system? And in fact, it's a question for the world around us. Can you walk into your university and love somebody yet have disagreement with their values and their belief systems? Can you do it in your workplace? Can you do it in the world around in every area of your life? The second question is similar. Can you correct somebody and not judge them? I don't know about you, but I've noticed in the last number of years that statement around you are judging me has never got bigger. It is a statement that has just continues to grow around our lives and the, and the statement of I'm feeling judged by you. Now the question is, can you correct somebody and not judge them? You know, we mix this question up so much as Christians with our values, our belief systems, our morality that is wrapped up in the Word of God. These both big questions. And listen, I don't want to necessarily answer them one and two. I want to answer them by walking through the Word of God. And I believe as we do that tonight, we will answer these questions for our lives. And again, the best way I can answer them is through the Bible, through the Word of God and through the truth of what that speaks to our lives. If you have a Bible, if you have a phone, if you don't, you can look at the, at the screen behind me. I want to look at Hebrews uh, chapter 12, verse 5 and 6. Listen, in Hebrews chapter 12 right here, he is, the, the writer here is writing to a group of Christians that were once Jews that have come to Christ. These people have understood the Bible. They've understood the Word of God. They would have grown up in that. And now they've come to the knowledge of Jesus. So when He speaks to them, He speaks to people that have some knowledge. And He writes to them in, verse, in chapter 10 and chapter 11. He speaks to them about faith. He says, in fact, by faith, they did incredible things. By faith, people changed the world. By faith, people did amazing stuff. Now He gets into chapter 12 and he's starting to speak to them about a whole range of different subjects. And in fact, I want to say this. I wish I could just spend my whole time here reading through this whole chapter because there's so much in it, but I don't have the time. I want to encourage you. One of my jobs as a pastor is to make you want to read the Bible. 
if you think that my job as a pastor is to always read the Bible to you and the only time you read the Bible is on a Sunday morning or a Sunday night or when you're in church, you're missing the point of what my job is as a pastor. My job is to make you hungry for the Word of God and to leave here going, sometimes maybe maybe Pastor Tim's wrong and I want to prove him right and go into the Bible yourself. Listen, if you do that, my job is accomplished. Uh, other than that, my job is to push you and encourage you to open up the Bible. Remember our questions. Can we love someone and, and disagree with their, with their living and their lifestyle? Listen, he says here in verse 5. Have you quite forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you, his child? He said, my son, don't be angry when the Lord punishes you. Don't be discouraged when he has to show you that you are wrong. For when he punishes you, he proves that he loves you. When he whips you, he proves that you are really his child. Don't be angry when the Lord punishes you. Don't be discouraged because He shows you sometimes that you are wrong. Listen, my, my first statement for you tonight is this. Sometimes every one of us is wrong. Now, I know I can see on some people's faces in the room, you don't like what I just said. I was driving with Alice to church tonight and I asked her a question. Do you like it when I tell you you're wrong? This is the look on her face. She's just like, Except she didn't have as much hair on her face. And her lips were probably a bit different. But she gave me like the evil stare. Of course I hate it when you tell me that I'm wrong. None of us like being told we're wrong, right? None of us do. I, can't, I look across this room, I can't imagine any of you that just love the joy of it. But listen, the writer of Hebrews is saying this. Sometimes you will be wrong and don't find it that God hates you if He's telling you that you're wrong. I've opened the Bible at times and I look at it and I'm like, gee whiz, I'm wrong. I've opened the Bible at times and I'm like, oh, my heart attitude's not right. As soon as I read this, the Holy Spirit's just saying, Tim, your attitude needs to change. I've opened the Bible sometimes and I felt God just directly point to me about my thinking. Tim, your thinking life is wrong. I've, I've got into a place of prayer and worship sometimes when I felt the Holy Spirit stop me in my tracks and say, Tim, right now your attitude towards your wife's wrong, go and apologise. Listen, I'm not a big fan of apologies, but I know when the Holy Spirit's prompted me to apologise, it's time to get my butt into gear and apologise. He says, listen, if God redirects you, if God corrects you, God is showing you right now in your life that He loves you and He's trying to direct you. One of my questions was, can, can you tell someone that you love that they're wrong? Listen, this is a big challenge. This is a big deal. We understand when we look at this, that God is saying right here, when we're wrong, we need to be redirected by Him. And sometimes that needs a redirection by others. I, I look at my son, J-Mac here. Listen, J-Mac is an amazing young man. If any of you know him, He's incredible. He works hard. He has a great work ethic. He has done well with his finances. He's done well with his life, made good decisions. He's building a business. He's selling a business. He's making really good decisions in his life. But sometimes he makes some decisions that I don't like and I don't agree with as a father. Sometimes they're usually only small things that I don't, I don't think he should make those decisions. Usually they're around sleep patterns and 
and how busy he is and he's helping too many people at once and he needs to stop and take a rest. Most of the time they're around those things. And when I rouse on him, this is his statement. Dad, you rouse on me more than everybody else. Now, if I'm honest, that is probably correct. That is probably true. And, And it's probably true because I know what an amazing man he is, but I also see what his future looks like. I also see that God has got a call in his life and God has called him to make a difference in the world. I love him and I see greatness in him. And I feel like my gift set in my life, that's one of the greatest gifts I have is to see greatness in people that don't see it in themselves and to speak into it and to prophesy into it and to speak into their lives the greatness of what I see in them. I think when I look at my son, I see a young man that can change the world. So I've always got a high expectation of him. I look at God. This is God's heart for us. He sees who we can be and He directs us. And listen, God does this better than I do. I would love to say that as a dad, I'm always perfect in my redirecting of Josh. But if I'm honest about about this, there's some times when I need correction about how I've directed him. In fact, I would say I've had people that I've spoken to, my son doesn't listen to me. Their first reply is always this, have you seen his parents? Have you seen his father? Have you seen his mother? Do you like being told what to do? No, I don't. Does Wendy like being told what to do? Like, no, I don't times 500. And so now there's a culmination of biology that makes somebody that also doesn't like being told what to do. But I've had to learn how to do this well. And I want to talk about this a little bit as we go through the the whole picture here because this this is a part of our conversation. This is a part of how, how we address the world around us. I've had to learn as a dad, having others in my life, having my son Josh, Jaden, Jordan, daughters in my life that I want to direct and encourage to be great in their world, how to do that well. That is tough sometimes. It's tough directing people. It's tough encouraging others. It's tough to speak into people when they're doing wrong. Listen, Paul goes deeper in these issues than even the writer of Hebrews does. And in Romans chapter 1, he addresses some of this in in a real big way and then it flows into Romans chapter 2. Now, Again, I would encourage you to read the whole of Romans chapter 1. I, I, the, the whole book of Romans is a long conversation. And I'm just taking a small snippet out of the, the beginning of Paul's conversation here. He starts by saying this, God loves you so much that while you were messed up, He died for you. I look across this room and I want to say to you, if you think you come to Jesus perfect, number one, you're deluded. Number two, you're lying to yourself and to God. The Bible says, while we are messed and broken and lost, Jesus died for us. Whilst I was broken, messed up and lost, Jesus died for me. That's the beginning of chapter one. He he writes further in there and he starts to address actions of people's world and how some of their actions are completely against God's best for their life. In fact, he says, because of your actions, you reap, the, the rewards of your sin in your mortal bodies. And I want to pick it up as he's sort of wrapping up this thought because in verse 28, he says this, even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God that gave them over to their debased minds to do those things which are not fitting. Listen, God loves us so much. He allows us to make poor decisions for our lives. This is the painful part 
of growing up and learning to hear God's voice. I, I, I want to hear God's voice. I want to be obedient to God. I want to follow His direction to my life. But sometimes, just sometimes, I don't listen. I make bad decisions and they hurt me and they cost me. He says, God gave them over. He released them to make their own decisions. If you're in this room and you've made some decisions that are messed up, God still loves you. But at times He's just let you go to make your decisions because the reality is our decisions are our punishment. That's a, a contradictory statement. No, it's not. Our decisions and the pain of our decisions are the punishment. God doesn't need to punish me for my decisions most of the time. My punishment is the pain that comes from my poor decisions. The pain that comes from the reactions that I have that are wrong. He goes on, he says in verse 29, being filled with unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. That's a heck of a list. A heck of a list. Listen, Paul has this list for a reason because if you go back a couple of verses, he's addressing some major sin issues and now he comes back and he says, listen, you're judging those guys for their sin issues, but you fit right here in some of these. You guys have made some mess up of your own. He says this, those people who are knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, but not only that who do the same, those who approve of practicing them. Now, listen, this is a point that I really want to make. Paul says this, if you are outworking these messes of sin in your life, the Bible tells us that we are deserving of death. The, the wages of sin is death, the Bible says. Jesus came to give us the gift of life in Jesus Christ. It's Jesus' grace that forgives us. Being good enough doesn't come anywhere close to being enough. It is the grace of God that forgives my sin, my failure, your sin, your failure. Without that, we're deserving of death. And Paul is really clear about this. He says, we're deserving of death. He says, not just those that do and practice these things, but the ones that come and agree as well. This is a big statement to the world we live in today. Because we are told we've got to love someone and agree with them. But Paul says, if you agree with them, you put yourself in the same place. You put yourself in the same position. He says this, listen, our job as believers is to know the value of the Word of God and the value of how we live and how God's called us to live. It's a warning to Christians. It's a warning to the believers. Be careful what you're agreeing with today. Again, I know you're going to walk into your universities, you're going to walk into places and you are urged to agree with people's belief systems. I struggle always in my heart to believe and to agree with others when their belief systems don't match the Word of God. It's always a struggle to me. It's not something I can come into line with and go, oh, that'll be okay. No, it won't be okay. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. The outworking of sin in our life is death and destruction in the outcome of, of all eternity. But listen, it's death and destruction in our world today. He goes on, he says then in Romans chapter 2. Can you, can you read these words with me? He says, well, you may be saying what terrible people you, uh, you have been talking to. But wait a minute. You are just as bad, he says. When you say those wicked people should be punished, 
You are talking about yourselves, for you do the very same things. And we know that God in justice will punish anyone who does such things as these. Do you think that God will judge and condemn others for doing them and overlook when you do them too? Don't you realize how patient he is being with you? Or don't you care? Can't you see that he is waiting all this time without punishing you to give you time to turn from your sin? His kindness is meant to lead us to repentance. Can I make two statements out of this tonight? Number one is this. The Bible tells us that Jesus has come, that we can receive His grace. We could receive forgiveness and we could know the forgiving grace and love of Jesus Christ. The Bible is there telling us that Jesus has come to draw us back to Himself. In fact, the Bible says He wishes that none would perish. And in fact, right here, Paul says this, He is waiting patiently for me. He's waiting patiently for you. He's waiting patiently for that person that you're frustrated about because they won't come to church when you invite them. He's waiting patiently for the person that you know is making decision of bad, bad decision, bad decision, bad decision, walking away from God, turning their back on God. He's waiting patiently from them. Listen, he's waiting patiently for the person that works in the cubicle next to you that you just absolutely hate because they tease you about being a Christian. They give you a hard time about your belief systems. They tell you that everything you believe is wrong. Listen, the Bible tells us he's waiting patiently for them. He died for them. Whilst they are yet in their sin, Christ died for them. If you can get anything tonight, realize this that Jesus Christ is the answer for humanity and he wants to bring grace and forgiveness to even the most hated person in your life. The one that is the most painful and is so far from God, he's loving and he's waiting patiently for them. But the second thing I want you to get out of this is this last piece of scripture. It's his kindness that is meant to lead us to repentance. You know, people say this all the time. If a kind God and a loving God loves somebody, why would He ever, ever, ever send them to hell? Listen, my sin was sending me to hell and a loving Saviour, Jesus Christ, arrested me with His grace and brought me back into His kingdom. It is not ever God sending us to hell. It is our sin and our decisions and our choices that are sending us to hell. It is the grace of God that delivers us from sin. It delivers us from hell. It delivers us from the punishment that was imputed into our life because of our decisions and because of the outworking of our life. It is His kindness that redirects us. What is repentance? Repentance. Repentance, the Bible says, is this, is a 180 degree turn to go the other way. Repentance isn't sorry. It is, sorry, I'm going back here. Sorry, I'm turning around and going the opposite direction. That is repentance. It is His kindness that leads us to repentance. Listen, the outcome of that, it is kindness that stops somebody and says, listen, your life isn't going the right direction right now. It needs to come back towards Jesus. It is kindness that says, I love you, but I can't agree with you because your actions are causing you death right now. It is the kindness of God that says there's another direction that is a better way to live. There's another direction that'll lead you away from brokenness. There's another direction that'll heal that aspect of your life. There's another direction that will heal every area of your heart, mind and soul. It is the kindness of God 
And on our part, it's the kindness that stops and says, I can't agree. I love you, always will. But I don't agree right now with your actions. Josh, I love you, son, and I always will. But you need to change some of your actions. I, I love you, do so. But sometimes you need to change your thinking around these areas of your life. Listen, this is the kindness of God and it's the kindness to our life to have this discussion with others. It's the kindness that leads us through those things. It's God's love that says, hey, this is wrong and you need to get out of it. I am grateful that God arrested me in my stupidity and said, Tim, there's a better way to live. There's a better way to walk. Paul speaks about it to the Galatians church as well. He addresses this issue further and continues to enlarge his challenge. And listen, in this statement in the book of Galatians, he makes some real power statements, some big ones. Galatians chapter 6, it's a wrap up of his letter to the Galatians church. Now, the letter of Hebrews was to Jewish people that had lived lovely ways. The letter to the Galatians was to filthy heathens like you and I that were messed up, broken, lost and didn't know the Bible, didn't know the Word of God and have started to come back to it and started to understand and learn what God's talking about. He's writing to people like us and he says this, Dear brothers, if a Christian is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help him back into the right path Remembering that next time it might be uh, one of you who is in the wrong. Uh, do you think Paul could write that any clearer? I don't know about you. This sounds really, really clear to me. He's answering two of these questions that are really, really powerful. He says, if there's a Christian overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly lead them back Remembering, the humble side is remembering that you also could make some mistakes down the track. Now, I want to just highlight two things. He says, gently. If I've had to learn something in my life, it's how to gently redirect people. Uh, I feel like there's been times in my life where I've been a sledgehammer in my attempt to redirect people. Listen, I look across this room, probably some of you are like me. I, I don't like being... Uh, beating around the bush. I like being direct. You're wrong. Change. Let's get on with life. I like it when people do that with me. I react first and foremost. Secondly, I think about it. Then I realise they're right and I change. That is the reality of how I deal with that. But I know this, that his statement here around gently is a realisation for most people. They need to be done and led gently. I've found this with my son, Josh. He, he doesn't respond well to, mate, change and stop doing that. He doesn't respond well to that. In fact, the more I attack him front on, the more I actually reinforce his belief system because I force him to argue back against me. This is a statement that we need to really understand. When we argue directly with somebody, you, you jump on Facebook, you have a direct Facebook argument with somebody, you're reinforcing their belief systems because you're causing them to argue back their belief systems. In fact, if you want to help change people's opinion, sometimes you need to come at a side angle. And this is what Paul's saying, let's come into it generally. I've learned this dealing with daughters. 
how to have a conversation without having a conversation at all. How to be encouraging and how to you know, say, you're amazing, you're awesome. And, and in that conversation, redirect areas of their thinking and their believing. This thing has been something that I've really had to come to terms with over the last seven or eight years of my life. And I'm glad that I have because it's made me a better pastor. It's helped me to lead people better. It's helped me to understand exactly what Paul was saying here. When you come gently, you can actually address the heart issue without stirring feelings of frustration on the inside of somebody. You know, at times I've been a sledgehammer and there's times I've had to stop and change. I've had to stop and realise that it isn't working what I'm doing right now and walk gently with somebody into their life and allow the Holy Spirit to gently walk with me. When you sledgehammer, it's usually like this, Holy Spirit, catch up. This person's wrong. I'm going to fix them right now. And the Holy Spirit hasn't even caught up with that. I learned this when I was roof tiling. A guy I was roof tiling with, I I started working with this guy way back before I was a pastor. I was working with this guy. He turned up to work with me. And and the first day I was working with him, like this guy is swearing and swearing like you've never heard somebody swear. At lunchtime, I sat down, I was reading my Bible at lunchtime. He's like, are you a Christian? I'm like, yeah, I am. He's like, me too. I'm like, ah, your language probably didn't quite reveal that to me over the last couple of hours, but that's great. You know what? Over the next six months, this guy encountered Jesus so many times. You know, we'd pray together, we'd share together. His language even shifted. He, his swearing dropped off. He stopped swearing. And, you know, he, he actually, God was speaking to him uh, about how he treated his son, how he, how he to treat his partner, how he outworked his life in that way. You know what? That guy every day smokes so much pot. And every day I would talk to him, you need to stop smoking pot. You need to stop smoking pot. You need to stop smoking pot. In that six months that we worked together, you know what? God talked to him about a million things. And I was saying, Holy Spirit, what about the pot? That pot's destroying the guy's life. And there's no doubt it is. And it's a mess and a broken thing. God never spoke to him once in that six months. I actually bumped into him a couple of years ago and his whole life has completely changed and he's not roof tile anymore. He's not smoking pot anymore. And God's done all these incredible things in his life, which was amazing. Just the Holy Spirit hadn't caught up with me, if you know what I'm saying here. And Paul says, gently, but he adds to that, humbly. Humbly. What am I talking about in humbly? Listen, humbly is a way that we can walk with people through the reality of the fact that I've had problems, you've got problems, and together we can walk you into the fullness that God has for your life. He goes on and he says in verse 2, he says, Share others' troubles and problems, so obey our Lord's command. If anyone thinks he's too great to stoop to this, he's fooling himself and he's really a nobody. I feel like Paul's showing us a technique and a strategy of how to walk with people. I have found when I start to walk with people through the challenge, when I can meet them where they're at, humbly, listen, I've gone through that as well. It may not be exactly the same, but I've walked through similar challenges in my life and this is how God has led me through them. When we do that, there's something powerful about meeting somebody where they're at meeting somebody in their moment, meeting somebody in their challenge that does an incredible thing that's so much more powerful than you are wrong, you need to change. He says, gently and humbly, come and meet people. If you feel like I'm too good to meet somebody where they're at, 
He said, you're just fooling yourself and you're a nobody. He says in verse 4, Let everyone be sure that he is doing his very best. For then we will have the personal satisfaction of work well done and won't need to compare yourself with somebody else. Each of us must bear some faults and burdens of his own. For none of us is perfect. I know I'm speaking to everyone else except for Pastor Lydia in the room. But none of us is perfect. And we come to the reality of when we're going to help people, we do it out of love. We do it humbly. We do it with the reality of the fact that I want the best for somebody else. I'm not perfect. I know that I'm not expecting that person to be perfect. But addressing the challenge is helping them come to the fullness of what God has for them. Let me wrap up with a final scripture. James chapter 5, verse 19 and 20. James makes the power statements of all power statements. He says, Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Do you hear what he is saying right here? The simplicity is this. If we can lead people back to Christ, the power of what we do is to save somebody from eternal death and even death on this earth and save and cover a multitude of sins and brokenness in their world. He's saying simply this. Listen, you can love somebody. You can correct them. You can speak to them in the reality that, listen, some things need to change and you can lead them back to the reality that Jesus is what they need. And when you do, and when you do this, listen, you do the most incredible thing for anybody. I found this as a pastor. Laying hands on somebody and seeing their body physically healed is wonderful. And I've seen that many times. I've seen deaf people healed. I've seen blind eyes open. I've seen incredible miracles. I am grateful for that. But listen, there's no use healing somebody's body to see them spend an eternity in hell. The greatest miracle in the whole wide world is the miracle of salvation. I am grateful I encountered it in my life. It's so transformed me. It's so changed who I am. It is such a wonderful thing. But I'm grateful for this. There was men and women on my life journey that led me to the miracle of salvation. Listen, we have a role in our lives. It's not a role of agreement. Jesus doesn't want us to agree with the world because Jesus doesn't agree with the world. Jesus doesn't want us judging and hating on the world as well. We've got to be really clear. But there's moments in our life to stop and say, hey, listen, right now, where are you going? It's mess. Over here, Jesus wants to heal, deliver. He wants to transform your world. He wants to do great things inside of you. Some people are going to reject it. That's the deal. He's still waiting. Paul said he's still waiting. He'll keep waiting for them. Keep waiting for them. Some people keep rejecting. He's still waiting. He's keeping on waiting. Because He loves them. In their sin, He loves them. In their mess, He loves them. What's our job? To humbly and gently walk with people. Humbly and gently share the beauty of Jesus Christ. Humbly and gently lead people back to the truth that is this. It's profound and it's the Gospel. That no matter where we are, no matter what we're doing, Jesus loves us and He wants to bring us back into a relationship with Himself. That's the truth. And listen, in the reality and the truth of that is healing. In the reality and the truth of that is miracles in our heart, our mind 
and our life. This is the beauty of Jesus Christ. Let's pray as we wrap up here tonight. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you love us. Thank you, your grace is sufficient for us. Thank you that you want to draw us back to yourself. God, I pray for people maybe here tonight. But I know this message will keep speaking to you as you continue your day. So for more information about City Point West, jump on citypointchurch.com or follow our social media accounts, Instagram, City Point West, or our Facebook, City Point Church West. Have a great day.